uh, just from one parent to another, it's, it's exhausting sometimes, like feeling like you're always trying to like chase, chase around this little being and make sure they're safe. And so doing some of that pre-work, doing the work ahead of time makes it so you don't have to chase them all the time. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Shelly. How's Morgan? She's good. Yeah. She's doing better in school, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. She loves the tutoring she gets. We have a friend that's a teacher and comes by and, and does some like after school tutoring with Morgan once a week. So that's been really good. And oh, nice. Yeah. You seem like you're one of those people that just always has a friend who knows how to do something. Like anytime there's like, you're like, I have a friend who knows how to do that. Or I have a friend who could help. Or I have a friend who knows about that or something. I'm going to tell you a secret. I collect people. Yeah. I collect people that know things because you're right. I, and if I don't directly know somebody that knows something, I guarantee you, I know somebody else who knows somebody that, Mm -hmm. that knows a friend of a friend. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I think everybody should have that circle. Because there's so much community in that, right? Like mm-hmm. community is something we know that we're lacking as a culture right now. And if you get that collection of people around you, that's your community. Maybe I just don't have a lot of skilled people in my community. <laughs> you, need to, you need to build your community, Shelly. But you know somebody who knows people. Yes. Yeah, you know me. I feel like a lot of the people in my community know the same things that I do. And therefore, it's like... But it would be nice to have an auto mechanic in the family. Oh, I don't have a direct mechanic, but I, there are several people in my life that are mechanically inclined with cars and can mm-hmm. do some like basic repairs. Mm-hmm. I do wish I knew more. I do wish I personally knew more about that kind of stuff. And then some days I wake up and I'm like, I can just YouTube it. Mm-hmm. and. I don't need to pay someone to redo my kitchen cabinets. I can just YouTube it. Yeah. Well, how hard could it be? <laughs> well, that's what I always think. But then somehow, <laughs> or the bigger issue is like, you know, in the video, they're like, this will take you like three days. And I'm like, what? Who has time for that? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of timely things, did you see that one of the CNN anchors, Casey Hunt, gave birth in the bathroom? No kidding. She was in labor for 13 minutes total. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. That must have been traumatic for everybody. That's a, it's like a train. I mean, Hunter's was two hours. And that was a little like, I did not like that. I did not like two hour labor birth. Yeah. <laughs> that was no time to cope, no time to regroup. Just here comes the train. <laughs> Mine was two and a half days. Yeah. I couldn't do that either, to be honest with you. (laughs) So long. It was so, that kid just refused to come out of my body. Mm -hmm. Brick and Summer were about five hours and that was nice. Not too fast. Not days long. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you watch a couple movies and by the time you're done, the baby's here. (laughs) 
me, I'm busy like doing laps around the hall, trying to get something going. Like, come on, kid. Mm. I feel like I always had really great, easy labor and birth and then really shitty postpartum. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, okay. I had a pretty great postpartum. I, I do remember other than probably the initial few weeks where Morgan and I were struggling with breastfeeding and I didn't have a super supportive pediatrician. <sighs> she was supportive, just not knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And once we got over that hump, then I had a like a blissful fourth trimester. Then I had a blissful fourth trimester. Hey, I didn't get a five-hour labor, though. This is true. I, got, like, I did also get like <laughs> shitty pregnancies, too. Hypermesis. Oh, yeah. So labor was always fun because I'm like, yes, it's almost done. Pregnancy's in the end. I'll be able to eat again. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's worse. I mean, like I, I barely ate and gained like 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was huge. Did I ever show you my pregnancy pictures? I don't think so. I'll have to show you. I was large, large and in charge. So much belly. (laughs) You were probably only belly. <laughs> That's <laughs> like me where I'm like coffee. I lived like the Michelin tire man <laughs> with a massive bear belly. That's pretty much what I looked like. Well, I had I had like a huge rack and then a huge belly. So it was like a bloop, bloop. <laughs> oh, cool. But you know what? Those are the kind, you know, that's the best kind of bloop, bloop that you want. <laughs> Anyways. Um. I was also, that also made me think of this friend that I had. We were pregnant together. And then we actually lost our babies together, quote unquote, like within Aww. a week of each other. Yeah. Then we got pregnant again together. Funny. And we had the same due date. And then our babies were born on the same day. That's funny. Yeah. So her daughter and Hunter are um, birthday twins. I remember I, what made me think about her <laughs> in this story. Because now I'm rambling, but there is a point, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and trigger warning, like, child child in danger story. So when her daughter and Hunter were two, her daughter fell in a pool or something. And she pulled her daughter out and did CPR, and it saved her daughter's life. As CPR can do. Yes. And that is one thing when I was teaching classes. I'd always be like, listen, if you don't want to take a childbirth class, if you don't want to take a breastfeeding class, new, I mean, there's a lot of classes out there that you could take and yeah. you can't take them all. But one of the ones that you should absolutely take and bring your parents to if they're going to be watching the baby, blah, blah, is, you know, CPR. Yeah. I always emphasize that in my newborn care classes is how valuable it would be to take an infant CPR class as a newborn. Yep. And you just hope you never have to use it. But if you do, you're going to be glad. You have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's one of those skills that you'll be glad to know and hope you never have to use. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're talking this week with Brandon from the Thrive Training Institute, all about the importance of learning CPR and infant safety. But first, let's do our question of the week. This week's question comes from Instagram, as they typically do. And the question is, what at what age can I um, introduce a pillow to my baby? You know, until this question came up, I didn't really realize there was a specific age for it. I was trying to remember what age I... The problem is, like, I was that quote-unquote bad mom that bed shared with her kids. So <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. 
they just naturally progressed. Like when they finally left my bed, they we just gave them a pillow. But so Morgan's funny because she's always been a big stomach sleeper. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't really. She has a pillow, but she doesn't really use it. Oh, she's not like the butt in the ear, arms wrapped around the pillow, giving it a hug. No, no, my kid's a starfish. And she <laughs> flails in her sleep. So she's all over the place because mm. she cannot, like she has a pillow and she, mm. you know, needs to have it every night when she goes to bed, but it's just never, you know, usually in the morning it's on the floor. And she's all legs too. She is all legs. So if you're in bed with her, you must get kicked a yes. number of times throughout the night. Yeah. And uh, like anytime she comes and sleeps with me, I, there is a big long pillow between us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a like a safety a buffer zone. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a- so great question, and the official answer to that question is over two years old. You can introduce a pillow. The experts recommend under two years old. You do not use pillow blankets, things like that. How much sleeping are they really doing though? <laughs> I guess it depends on like how much of a jerk your baby. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's 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 be real here. There's a bunch of overtired parents out there right now going, I wish my kids slept. <laughs> so if you have a question that you'd like us to answer on the podcast, you can send it to us at Shelly Taft IBCLC. And before we jump into our interview with Brandon, just a couple of announcements. We are now hosting a monthly infant feeding support group led by Maria. And this is for our local families. It is at our office in Worcester. And it is the second Thursday, right? Second Thursday of the month. Yeah. From 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And it is for breastfeeding, chest feeding, combo feeding, bottle feeding. If you're feeding your baby, you're welcome to come. It is support group where you can casually meet with other families and get basic feeding questions answered. So you can find that information on the website. And next, we'll be talking about the importance of CPR training with Brandon. So this week, I have a special guest here to talk to you all about CPR and infancy. Brandon Dirksen is a certified CPR instructor with a passion for teaching life-saving skills. His online CPR and safety training has helped over 15,000 families learn life-saving skills from home. He's a dad of three and knows the fears that come with having children. What to do if they choke or drown or go unconscious? These fears drove Brandon to find answers and solutions. And that's why he is here today, trained in safety skills and wanting to help provide the same relief for other families. Brandon wants every family to know CPR and emergency response skills. Whether you're a first-time learner or need a refresher, Brandon is here to guide you through the process and provide you with the skills and knowledge needed to save a life. Let's work together to make our community safer and more prepared for emergencies. Hi, Brandon. How are you? Doing so good, Shelly. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, I was really excited when we connected because it is such an important topic. And I'm a huge believer in, you know, every family knowing these basic life-saving um, skills like the CPR and choking. Absolutely. Yeah, we we got started really wanting to be able to help families that didn't know what to do. And mostly most CPR training is geared towards medical professionals or people that require CPR training for their job. So our goal, my wife and I was to, as a CPR instructor, bring the CPR knowledge back in front of parents so that parents can actually 
get confidence in these life-saving skills that so many parents wish they had. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like parents are excited to take these classes or do you think there's, I know that there's like a mentality sometimes around, well, if like Murphy's law, if you take the, and you learn these skills, then you're, something's going to happen and will make you use the skills and nobody wants that. Sure. I think there's a lot of that. And that's something we can dive into even further on the podcast. But I think one of the most limiting beliefs that a lot of parents face is if I look into this, it will make my anxiety bigger, make my fear Mm -hmm. of this happening greater. And where, you know, you don't want to like replay that something bad will happen in your life. Being prepared to be able to take action from a place of confidence really helps a lot of parents. And so I've seen the opposite take place. So when parents come into our community, come into our circle, and actually learn what to do. They watch the videos, they get the confidence, then they they actually share, wow, I feel so much more confident to be able to face these things. And it kind of can let that anxiety rest and kind of like the what if be put to put to death for better of a lack, lack of better words, mm-hmm. that they can actually know that in an emergency, which hopefully never happens, they have the skills, they have the knowledge to help their own child, as well as possibly an, another parent's child. And, and that's a really powerful place to be as a parent that's your child, you're your child's first responder. You're you're on the front lines, um, and mm-hmm. that's parents love having that confidence. And is that how you forgot? Because I know you have you have children of your own. And were you CPR? Were you teaching CPR before you had children, or did that come after? No, yeah, that's a great question. So just a little bit of my backstory is when going into adulthood, I actually was doing a lot of volunteer work overseas. When we started our family, my wife and I, for my first two kids, I actually didn't have. CPR knowledge. It was right. It was right a couple of years ago where I started gaining all these tools and skills. And so it didn't start off with the same level of confidence that I have now. And I, I've seen a lot of parents have a similar experience. And so it wasn't until later on that I actually became a CPR instructor. And now we have three kids. So it's been a little different. Now, now my kids are uh, six, four, and one at the time of recording this. And I tend to be not more of an anxious person, but think about worst case scenarios. And so for me, it's like, okay, we're feeding them like, what could happen? What could go wrong? And as I went down this journey of becoming a CPR instructor of interacting with parents and hearing their biggest concerns, uh, was able to see was able to experience this transformation in my own life where I was able to have the skills to remove a choking obstruction if my infant were to choke, my toddler were to choke. Having that in my back pocket was such a transformational experience that I wanted to be able to give that to other families because I didn't have it when I when I first got started. And I'm sure you know as a lactation consultant that when you meet with a lot of first time parents that are this is the and I know that uh, moms have uh, you know the second child or the third child could be could have trouble feeding and and, and need and need assistance there. But you know a lot of times we're we're learning these things for the first time as parents and knowing what to do during a choking emergency is one of those skills that we're not really taught unless our jobs required it. And so I was in that boat as doing ministry and being a volunteer. CPR wasn't something I knew. And so I wanted to be able to help other parents go through that that experience and and feel that confidence that they didn't have that I didn't have when I was getting started as a parent. Yeah. And I totally understand that feeling. I didn't I was not I didn't have any CPR knowledge when I had my kids too. But when I went to nursing school, of course it was required. Yeah. At that point, and I am so glad that it is because, like you said, I left the training feeling so much more confident in that I can at least be helpful in an emergency situation. Absolutely. So now you have the Thrive Training Institute. Yeah. How long did that take to get off the ground? Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, 
it was actually what's crazy is 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 we're pretty young as a company. Um, so during COVID, uh, we were like everybody else, just reevaluating life. Uh, it was a deep healing season in my family, uh, just internally in our marriage and our in our and everything about us was being reshaped. And it was in that time where uh, we had seen this need to be able to help families. And so during 2020 is actually when we started connecting with other child development experts, feeding specialists. I became a CPR instructor, and we we started sharing about this opportunity for parents to to learn CPR. And so through through Thrive Training Institute, reviews started coming in that parents were having transformational experiences. At the beginning, we we more just had it available as a general, like this is for anybody. And then we really, in the first year, really said, this is for parents because parents were the ones that were saying, I want to go through this. I want to go through this. And probably 90% of our, our students are parents. And so what we did is we, our first year, we actually didn't even have social media. So the videos that everybody sees now, I wasn't, I wasn't doing those yet. I've, I only started doing that in the last six to 12 months. And so what we did, we first just started uh, connecting with other child development experts and other creators and influencers on social media to be able to get the word out. Uh, we've been able to train close to 20,000 families, which is just so cool uh, since starting in 2020. And what was what was a really pivotal moment for us was when <clears throat> I got my first email just on a random day from a parent that rescued their own children, their own child from the, going through the course. And, and for me, that was like, oh, this isn't like just something that people are enjoying going through. This is like actually saving lives. And she shared the story that her her daughter had, had taken the biggest bite of strawberries she ever dared take in her 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 life so far. And she was eight months old and she had she was gagging and coughing and not um still still breathing. And so the the mom knew not to just reach her finger in her mouth and try to pull that thing out or she was letting her cough. And then it actually got lodged in her throat and she started turning blue. And so the mom picked her up and gave her two two back blows between the shoulder blades. Uh, and remove the object. And she detected, and she emailed and said we were crying and I was holding her and she was safe. And she was like, had I not gone through the course, I'm not sure I would have had the same, the same outcome. And I was like, wow. So that's that's kind of been the journey that Thrive's gone on. I've committed to posting a lot of educational content on our on our channel. And in the last six months, we've grown to almost 80,000 followers just because like this is a need parents have. This is a fear. Mm -hmm. And so my goal has been to how much value can I add and give uh, this is like, you know, everybody's just scrolling through social media. I want somebody to be like, oh, this is life saving. I need to stop and watch this. And um, one of our videos has like over 8 million views because it's like parents are like, I need this caregivers, grandparents. Uh, and just from when I know when any video goes viral, I actually get a message from somebody that was able to rescue their own child. And so that's oh, wow. that's kind of a cool like yeah. once a video hits about a million views just because of how many people. And, and things happen, you know, kids have a gagging episode, which is not an emergency, but then some parents, they'll message and they were choking. So I had a parent message from a video she saw during Thanksgiving, her child choked on turkey of all things and mm -hmm. said, thank you so much. I saw your video the day before. Yeah, and I was perfect able to timing. Take, yeah, <laughs> I was able to take action. I've even had, um, and Shelly, you could speak to this a little bit. I have a lot of parents that are concerned about their child uh, choking on milk, like mm. breast milk or formula which is kind of an interesting one. I, we could maybe dive into that. But parents messaged me like my child was choking, not breathing. They were turning blue. I I, I used the back blows you said and, and got them breathing again. So that's been a little bit of our journey. It was collaborating with other creators such as yourself, 
and then doing everything we can to provide as much value and educational material through through social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And you know, a lot of parents, especially when you start to introduce solid foods, the anxiety around choking can definitely ramp up there too. And I love how you pointed out there's a difference between gagging and choking. Yeah. And could you go a little bit more into that? Because I do find that a lot of parents do think that their baby is choking when the baby's actually just gag. I don't want to say just gagging, but yeah. just gagging. Yeah. yeah. When the, the, the gag reflex is, is, uh, is activated. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you see this in feeding therapy um, mm-hmm. as well, that when your infant up to about six months, you know, we're not doing, we're not doing solid foods yet, but once the child's showing signs of readiness at around six months of age, they're sitting up. They're showing interest in food. They're able to support themselves. The gag reflex is going to be further forward in the palate and so in the mouth. And so what happens is as we introduce new textures to our child, and whether you're following a a baby-led weaning approach or a puree mixture of of approaches, um, that gag reflex is further forward on the tongue. And so when your child gags, that's their body's way of protecting the airway. It's like, oh, that's a new thing. That's a foreign thing. Or maybe I got too much. I'm not familiar with this. And so when they gag, their tongue thrusts forward. And it's a it's a protective mechanism to, to keep the airway protected. And so that's going to, that's don't worry if you're in that phase right now, you're introducing solids and your kid's gagging. You're like, I'm, I'm never going to feed them again. <laughs> that will move further back into the, into the mouth as they mature and develop. It's only going to take a few months. And so if your child's gagging and coughing and they could they could have they could be red they could be unpleasant to watch they're not choking because they're still getting oxygen and their airways not blocked do we have some minor interruptions as where the gag happens and it kind of feels like all of all of eternity stops for a minute we're like are we good here and it's like oh they're they're coughing now they're good when it turns into a choking episode like a real choking obstruction is when the airway is partially blocked or completely blocked and so that means that that object didn't go down the esophagus. It went the other way, uh, which there's a flap that closes as they swallow. And so if it's actually blocking the airway for an infant, and this is really scary, they're going to start to turn blue. And so an easy phrase to remember is if they're coughing in red, let them go ahead. If they're unable to breathe in blue, they need help from you. And so your child will gag and your child will have coughing and, and all of that will happen. It's kind of like the training wheels when they're starting to eat, your travel is not guaranteed to have a choking episode. Um, choking is rare. Um, it does happen though. And so those are the signs to look for is if the child's no longer breathing. And so infants especially have a very high respiratory rate. That means that they're breathing very frequently. I, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's like a lot. <laughs> and as we, as the child develops, the respiratory rate slows. And then as we get into adulthood, we breathe less, less often per minute, but infants are very oxygen dependent. So they're breathing all the time. So if your infant's not getting air, it's going to be obvious and you're going to need to take action to, to remove that, that obstruction to help them by creating a forced cough using the CPR techniques that we teach. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. And I usually tell parents like we want, if your baby's gagging, that's a good thing. That means that their body's protective defensive mechanisms are in place and working properly. Absolutely. And if, and if like, even like the, the ability for them to create a strong cough is mm-hmm. a good thing because they can close the mouth for a second and cough and breathe through yeah. the nose and, and, and cough. Uh, our the air guy, is moving. <laughs> yeah, air is moving. Our little guy, um, he had a pretty significant tongue restriction with a tongue tie. And I know 
there's, I know there's a lot of theories of thought around tongue ties, lip ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, we worked with a team of holistic practitioners in in Maui of all places, Maui, Hawaii. And what we were looking for is is the function. In his function, there's a lot of clicking. Mm-hmm. He was getting a lot of air. There's a lot of restriction in his body. And even after doing body work, uh, lactation consulting, and, and all this stuff, chiropractic, there was still the restriction. So we actually had a phrenectomy, a, a tongue tie release done uh, there. Um, and his symptoms or his his ability to feed and, and, and get less air changed drastically after that procedure. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure you see all sorts of things from severe tongue ties, or there could just have been birth trauma. So every child is going to be different. And for him, like at, at the beginning, as he was starting to feed, he, he wasn't able to produce a strong cough yet. And so we're seeing that now at 12 months, a much stronger cough, but he would kind of just gag and just hold his mouth open. And I'm like, dude, are you going to cough? Like we need to, we need to get this out. And so uh, if you're a parent and you're kind of like my kid's unique or all kids are unique and every story is different, but just wanted to give you some empathy from one parent to another that that your kid's going to have a unique feeding journey. Uh, it might include working with, with Shelly. It might include feeding therapy. But for most kids, if your child's gagging, there's nothing abnormal about them. Just mm-hmm. it's it's a natural process that, that the body goes through to to get ready for for more diverse foods and for the mouth to continue to expand and develop in a, in a safe manner. Right. Yep. And I love that you bring that up because, you know, it, that's something that parents should be aware of, too, because if you do have a baby who has a tongue tie, sometimes they do struggle with solid foods because they have trouble moving their tongue to form the food into an appropriate bolus to send down their throat nice and smooth. So yes, it's normal for babies to kind of gag and cough, but if it's like a persistent problem that doesn't seem to be going away, especially as the baby starts to get a little older, that would definitely be something worth checking out. I completely agree. That's yeah. it's important. So what t- what classes do you teach? You mentioned the infant CPR. What else yeah. do you teach in? Yeah, great question. Well, just for anybody, just kind of an inter- inter- introduction to the CPR world for, for anybody that this this is new for, because it was new for me just a couple of years ago. So typically when, when a parent goes to, or anybody goes to a CPR training, generally it, there'll either be just, they'll just cover adult CPR, or it will also cover pediatric, which has child and infant CPR. So our CPR training, I call it our parent CPR course. It is a general CPR training, but we cover all ages. And so oftentimes parents will tell me in in the CPR training they did for their work uh, that the infant and child portion is very short. And so for us in our CPR training, we cover infant, what to do if they were to choke, if they were in cardiac arrest and they're not breathing, their heart's not working. Very rare. Again, most cardiac arrests happen in, in adults over 60. But we tell you what to do, how to give chest compressions, how to give rescue breaths. The same for a toddler through school age, up, up up into adulthood. And so there's some minor variations, but we really make sure to touch on those so that parents know that. So we have our parent CPR training. Uh, we also have our essential first aid training, which is going to cover all the general first aid topics, uh, giving parents the tools to know how to assess and address and, and know when to call emergency responders. And so that one gives parents a lot of peace of mind, talk about allergic reactions, heat-related emergencies inside of that, that first aid course. Uh, then we also have our drowning prevention course, which is something as we get closer to summer, we'll be talking about a lot just because drowning is preventable. Uh, one of the biggest things it's uh, cool for parents to realize is you can reduce 
the risk of your child drowning if they're between the ages of one to four by 88% if they are able to get professional swim lessons. Uh-huh. And so that's that's something that we're making a priority this year is, is really getting our children's swimming ability proficient um, because you can reduce so much. We talk about all the ways you can prevent drowning in that drowning course uh, before they swim, while they swim, and after they swim, mm-hmm. uh, which is crucial for for so many families. There's I'll share, there's a few more. There's also the childproof home course that we created, which is a, a room-by-room checklist and video guide that gives first-time parents, second-time parents the, the tools to be able to childproof each room, make sure that all cleaning supplies, we don't really recommend having, you know, poisons, too many poisons in your home at all. But mm-hmm. uh, we have we try to use natural cleaners as much as possible, but to make sure that things are safely locked away, that uh, there aren't choking hazards. So there's our childproof home course that walks parents through the whole house. Uh, we also have an infant and child fever course. And that what that does is, I, as a parent, I thought that all the fevers can get to a, a temperature that's too high. And then it's like, oh, brain damage is going to happen and all these things that you hear. Mm-hmm. And actually that the brain damage can't occur through a fever unless it's medically induced. And so, or mm-hmm. if, if there's entrapment, I don't know why I'm blinking on the, the name of the, the part of the brain that, that, that is the temperature control center, but that won't actually allow the, the body's temperature to go to an unsafe level. You actually get to have to get to over 108 degrees uh, for a fever for it to actually cause brain damage. And so that, that course is a lot about debunking fever myths and giving parents uh, a lot of tools there. Um, and so those those courses we recently put into one training bundle um, called the Complete Child Safety Training Bundle so that parents can get all of it mm-hmm. as well as have the ability to add um, their caregivers. So we give them the option to add unlimited caregivers. So if the grandparents watch the kids, babysitter, uh, if there's a family member that watches the kids, that that they can also get the same training courses when people sign up. And so that's been those have been the courses we've put our heart and soul into to be able to help help families get to a greater level of confidence when it comes to keeping their child safe. Mm-hmm. And I love that you do you add in the family members too, because you know if you're if your kids at a daycare center or something like that, they're all going to be certified um, by law. Correct. Um, and if you you're hiring a, a good nanny anyway, a good nanny would make sure that they're certified as well. But like even the grandparents, you know, if you know the grandparents going to be watching the kids. And that's something that I would always tell the families um, pre-COVID when I was teaching like newborn care classes. I'd always be like, listen, I know there's a lot of classes that you can take out there. And I'm not going to tell you that you should or shouldn't take these classes, except for this. You should learn CPR because if you ever need it, you're never going to regret having it. And have the grandparents sign up because especially if they're going to be watching, you know, if they're retired, they're going to be the primary daycare provider. You want to make sure that they know what to do in a case of emergency. Yeah. And a lot of times grandparents also want to help out. So when people are looking to to pay for the training, like say, hey, grandma, grandpa, like we're, we want you to be able to go through this as well. Like, can we split the cost? And, and that's a real practical way uh, that a lot of families pay for the training as well. Yeah. Or even a baby shower gift, really, yeah. if, if you're looking for ways to like get into the class. Because um, you're not going to use that. You're not going to use like the thousand dollar bassinet for too long, but you could use <laughs> you can use some Gosh, training yeah. in CPR. So many infant things bother me. It's like we get these. We had like this this perfect Moses organic Moses basket, and then mm-hmm. it's like ah, oh, he's he outgrew it <laughs> or snuggle me, and it's like oh, he's yeah. okay. And luckily, they have a good resale value. Did you find with your third, you had a lot less stuff than with your first? 
<laughs> everything just seemed like a lot like we got we still had the the essentials Mm. Um, there was a lot less emotion attached to maybe specific articles of clothing. Like your first one, you're like, oh my gosh, she's in her, this, the pink outfit. And so it's like this outfit. And then it's like with him, he, he was born at over 10 pounds. So he like, he just seemed like an, he didn't even ever really seem like a newborn. He just was like, he's grown, grown, grown. He walked at 10 months. Oh, wow. And so like, it's just felt like he worried it when I didn't even get my, my, my baby. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's already you know, already driving the car and he's not, yeah. but he's this huge. Um, and so for us, it felt like the third just felt like one more added to the the beautiful chaos that, that having mm. a family is. Uh, we felt much more relaxed and, and not as worried about doing everything, not doing things the right way, but like not feeling the pressure of, am I doing this right? Like sometimes we've even been out and we're like, we don't even have diapers in the car. We're like, what are we doing? Like, so <laughs> Sometimes that approach, sometimes needing to be more prepared, but overall it's just been, yeah. it's been amazing. Yeah. And when you have your third, sometimes diapers are like, I heard this on a show once, sometimes diapers are like breath mints. If it smells bad enough, someone's going to offer you one. So if you're out with a group of parents, <laughs> like someone will offer you a diaper if it's really that's, obvious that you don't have one and you need one. And that's okay. I've never heard that one. That's a good one. With you have the choking class. Can you go over like a brief summary of that one? Like oh yeah, but, yeah I the, know you have some videos on your Instagram too, but yeah, the the choking and the choking prevention and response course that I created, I did create. We have so many different choking prevention courses, but the, the there's a a free webinar that we're also doing, but then a paid course that's involved in the complete child safety uh, bundle that I forgot to mention was our choking prevention and response course that I created with two feeding experts. Um, Katie Ferraro from Baby Led Wean Team, and then Don Winkleman from Miss Dawn SLP. She's a speech language pathologist, and they both specialize in baby led weaning. I created a course that we all three taught on. It's really getting parents ready for introducing solid foods. And so we talk about high chair safety. Don Winkleman talks about how the the oral, like how oral function works and the development for an infant. Uh, we talk about choking hazard foods and how to avoid them. And then Katie also talks about um, the difference between choking and having an allergic reaction. And so there's some really valuable content inside of inside of that training uh, that we've had a lot of parents get a lot of get a lot of value out of. So that's included as well uh, inside of the complete child safety training bundle, um, or it can be purchased separately for for ninety seven dollars. And we've had a, a lot of really cool uh, stories come from from that training as well. And what are the top choking hazards when they start food. Yeah. No, let's dive into it. Yeah, I think so a couple of things to be aware of is food is something that kids choke on, but mm -hmm. it's often it's household objects. It's things it's non-food items that are going to account for more choking incidences than food. So I know that around food is where parents tend to think, okay, my child's going to choke while they eat. And yes, they're every I believe it's every four days a, a child under five does die from choking on food. And so that's that's about, I'm trying to think how many kids it is a year. It's a lot of kids. And so choking can be prevented by safely preparing the food. And so choking hazard foods are the ones that are hard, round, cylindrical, and even the sticky foods. So it's a couple of things like grapes, cherry tomatoes, things that that before 12 months, they need to be cut lengthwise twice hot dogs. And so because mm -hmm. if you cut a hot dog, and it's a cylindrical shape, 
that's the perfect size for it to get lodged and, and be very difficult to remove. And so for when you're starting off feeding your child, you want to make sure that that you're safely preparing these these food items to, to reduce the choking risk. Uh, when it comes to nut butters, <clears throat> like peanut butter, almond butter, those ones you want to be careful with. And you want to make sure the consistency is not super pasty and sticky to where they, they can't get it. There's not enough saliva and they're not able to safely swallow uh, that nut butter. Um, but when it comes to household objects, that's actually going to be the biggest one where it's that maybe there wasn't a, a acute awareness of like, oh, they're, they have something in their mouth because when you're when they're feeding, you're with them. Mm-hmm. And so for household objects, <clears throat> some of the biggest ones are batteries. Batteries are very dangerous. Normal batteries, but button shaped batteries specifically because mm-hmm. they just look interesting to, to kids, to crawlers and like nice my and son's shiny. age. Yeah, <laughs> shiny and and so I would make sure you don't have like the battery drawer be the the end table at the couch. You know, it needs to be up and out of reach because if a child swallows a battery and it gets it, it gets into their digestive system in their esophagus, it can burn and cause a lot of damage. And that's going to require a potential surgery. It's it's really just not a, not a good deal if a child swallows a battery. Uh, so you want to make those make those out of reach. Um, another one is like plastic bottle caps from disposable water bottles. You want to make sure that those are not just on the ground, specifically at like a barbecue or a picnic where people are kind of more careless or going faster. Maybe there's older kids and they're leaving the caps out. The bottles even have a choking hazard warning on them. And so we mm-hmm. want to make sure that those get disposed of properly. A couple things for if you have older kids and younger kids like we do, we have a four and six year old. They can play with Legos. They can play with marbles. They can be around their art supplies and it's not a problem. But my one-year-old can't because he sees a Lego and wants to put it in his mouth or finds a broken crayon and wants to put it in his mouth. I think we just got rid of the marbles because those ones are just annoying because they just fly <laughs> around everywhere. And it's just like, is there a marble? Like, is it safe? I don't know. So we just got rid of our marbles. So when you have multiple uh, aged kids, it can be nice to create a space where the older kids play, where mm-hmm. brother or sister can't come and they know that they're empowered in that. And then having a separate kind of yes space where there's maybe a baby gate and there's not concern of is there if there are choking hazards in this room as well. It's like having that be a separate space can be a game changer. So you want to keep an eye out for those things. Um, also, like latex balloons are account for a lot of choking emergencies and hospitalizations and, and even deaths because they're at a lot of birthday parties. They get popped. And then the pieces of the balloon are then left on the ground and then a little crawler can can find one and, and they can be very difficult to remove. And so those are some of the key ones. Just anything that fits inside of a toilet paper roll, the circle, could pose a choking risk for your child under three. And so it's really important to you can walk around with a toilet paper roll and like, OK, this fits, this doesn't, this fits, this doesn't to understand if your environment's safe for your child. And that can be really helpful. Uh, we had an incident. Just uh, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, where we had like a little a kid's teapot toy. The lid doesn't fit into a toilet paper roll, but my son had put it in his mouth and he came around the corner when I was doing the dishes and he's gagging and not <sighs> breathing. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I couldn't even see in his mouth. He had put the whole thing in his mouth. So it wasn't going down his throat, but it was activating his gag and like lodged yeah. behind his front teeth. So like it wasn't he wasn't he couldn't get it out. And so you still want to be aware, like what they're putting in their mouth and we're like, well, that lid's never coming out again. Yeah. So, and I'll have to say like, as you're listening to this as a parent or caregiver, grandparent, 
don't let this become something that, that does give you so much anxiety. Just create simple, clean spaces that have age-appropriate toys for your kid. And, and you, can allevi- you can alleviate so much concern around choking. Um, but things that fit through a toilet paper roll, we need to keep those things out of reach for quite some time up until, you know, I know your two-year-old's pretty pretty with it but like up until around three is when those the choking hazard cutoff is because kids are putting their stuff in their mouth all the time which is Mm -hmm. developmentally normal they're trying to understand the textures and and understand this whole new world they're exploring Mm -hmm. right yeah and i always find it helpful if i'm baby proofing to and i tell parents this too it's easy to miss things so if you want to kind of get down on your hands and knees and crawl (laughs) around your house for a little bit and see your house from your child's perspective and look for anything that might look like something. Ooh, I want to get into that. Yes. And and that's a great tool as well. If you're at an Airbnb, an unfamiliar place, is to do a real thorough check. Because that's, you know, I know as parents, like, it can feel lonely at times. But I know you're, you're going to want to hang out with other families, do other things. And they might not have a child-proof home like you do. And, and so, like, our friends are so courteous when we come over. Like, they, like take all the end tables out that have stuff on them. They've even at, at their rental had to move their fridge. So we can, cause they don't have like a cabinet locks on their cabinets so that we've moved the fridge and we put this couch on the other side of the kitchen Island so that Wilder, my son can't just easily um, make his way and start opening cupboards and pulling things out. And so it's mm-hmm. uh, just from one parent to another, it's, it's exhausting sometimes like feeling like you're always trying to like chase, chase mm-hmm. around this little being and make sure they're safe. And so doing some of that, the pre-work, the crawling around when you get somewhere or when you're creating a space for them as you maybe you're expecting and doing the work ahead of time makes it so you don't have to chase them all the time. It's, it's, yeah. it, so it's important. Yeah. I mean, you've got some great friends. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember when my kids were young, there was a relative that we would visit quite frequently at their request. And it was horrible for me because there is collective figurines. Like it's clearly not a house made for children to be in. And, you know, they'd invite us over for dinner and I wouldn't eat a bite because the whole time I'm just following my toddler around <laughs> trying to like prevent disaster. Yeah. It's the worst. And it's, yeah, it's not easy. So it's 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 always good to have people that are there to support you and and help you when to make to make safe spaces with you. So I completely understand. Have you been hearing a lot of stories about water beads? Because I've seen that pop up a lot in the news and on yeah, social media. Yeah, we actually had a few people bring that to our attention. I, I made a couple of videos. I might make some more um, for those of you who haven't heard about. You know, I've even I think I've played with them even at like the in, in kids' church just a couple of years ago. I didn't. I wasn't aware, like a lot of parents aren't, of the danger of water beads. So we could dive into that for just a second. And so, as we all know, when you put a the little beads of the water beads into water, they expand, which seem cool and kids enjoy playing with them as a sensory toy. And, and all that makes sense. The danger is with, if a kid swallows some of the, the dry beads, then those expand. And I think there's a couple of kids that have, that they have store ongoing stories where there's been blockages where they're having to have surgeries to, to remove them either from the, the intestines or the, like there's all this stuff. Um, so they're very dangerous if swallowed because you could make it swallow a handful that they look like food. And then all those are going to expand into those bigger beads that are not, not ideal to have in your system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's the choking risk, like for them to be small, but primarily it's the expansion of the bead once it's already in the digestive tract. And that's something uh, I wouldn't have those. We don't have any in our home. Um, and I encourage parents to find a, a safer alternative to to those just because of that that reality mm-hmm. that they could be swallowed and and expand is is very uh, very sad for the families that are having to to work through that right now. That's that was actually going to be my next question is because I see all these videos all the time of like ER doctors saying you know as an ER doctor here are things that I would never let in my house and it's usually some version of trampolines and stuff like that. Yeah. So as someone in your position with your knowledge. Do you have like a running list of products that you would never allow in your house? And if yes, could you share some of those? Yeah. One item I actually forgot to mention that's on the household like has choking hazard list. And something that we recently um, made a decision for is tax. So uh, our friends were giving us a hard time because they they didn't even know people had tax in their home. Like that's like what first grade teachers have. They said, I'm like, well, I don't know. I, we have tax. Like we put stuff on the wall. I didn't, yeah. I, didn't we were, I didn't think it was that rare, but for them, it was like, you have tax. Like what? <laughs> yeah. We didn't have tax until we, until our kids were teenagers. Cause then they want to hang up all the stuff right. on the yeah, walls. And, and so, they're like, we don't have any tax. And I had to go out and buy stuff. So then also like for us, our, our four-year-old, six-year-old, like, we've we have their their curtains with their blackout blinds and then but they they wake they wake up when there's a peak of light so like we also have had in the pre, in the past when we travel we tack up the blackout curtains because it's like you can't you're not drilling a hole in a temporary place but you might put a tack in the wall but our friends shared with us when they were volunteering at a preschool years ago that one of the kids swallowed a tack they weren't there when it happened and he actually passed away oh no and so for us we're like when we're doing birthday parties and we're tacking stuff up, like it's possible for one to fall off the wall when we're not looking and our one-year-old who doesn't know that he can't put those in his mouth could swallow one. And I was like, this is not necessary. Like, so we threw them all away and we can use tape instead. Mm -hmm. And so also, I mean, tape can be a choking hazard too. If you just leave it around and there's big patches of tape, but I'd prefer to deal with that. Well, I don't want my kid to swallow tape, but so better tape than attack. Better tape. Yeah. I don't know if I'll make that video of that better tape than tack, but <laughs> that might be a good one. So for us, tacks are on that list. And then we really value the um, like the quality of the things we put allow our kid to put in their mouth. And so for us, we try to make sure things that have a high toxic load that we're careful with those. And so those are those are that's on my list is taxes right now is that's been my main focus. We got rid of the marbles. We got rid of the tax. Um, so my strategy would be just there's so many things that we can do to help our kids, our older kids have sensory experiences and, and creative play that don't have to include choking hazards because stuff just happens. One, I want to share one story just as a uh, things happen story. So for us, our same friends, had we had talked about this knife safety and, and how a dull knife is a dangerous knife because it's harder to use and we're, you're using more pressure. And just the other night, like I am the safety guy. Uh, my wife and I were talking like in this hall closet for two seconds and in the chaos of my sister-in-law was doing the dishes and none of us were looking at my one-year-old and he came around the corner and he grabbed a knife out of the dishwasher. So we turn around and like, so our, <laughs> the joke was our knives are terribly dull, which makes them dangerous. And our friends and I have better knives. We just haven't, we hadn't invested in knives yet. And so our dull knife, I turn around and my son is holding the blade and chewing on the knife. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we're like, 
my wife like screams like oh my gosh and we go over there just like expecting to like just have it be this scary moment he's not bleeding and has no cuts because our knives are so dull so (laughs) um that is the only scenario just to say like i'm aware of these things i'm teaching them things happen and not to get spiritual and everything but if people you know there's there's divine intervention that also helps you. You're not alone in this. And 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 as you're trying to keep your child safe, um, the 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 universe is for you. God's for you. And so there's little moments where there's grace, where there's times where it's like, gosh, like I did everything I could and this still happened. And so that's why we teach CPR. It's like you do everything you can to be prepared, to prevent, and things happen. And whether that's for your your child or if you're at a park. And you're the parent that's like, hey, I can help your child. I'm trained in CPR. I see they're choking. Can I help them? And that parent's like, please, I have no idea what to do. Um, that's the that's the type of confidence we want to give parents because things happen. And our mission statement with Thrive Training Institute is to be able to have no parents say, I wish I would have known. And so like a lot of parents that have lost kids to drowning, to choking, to other emergencies say, I wish I would have known that I could have prevented this. I wish I would have known what to do. And that's why we're trying to make safety knowledge, choking safety, viral is because Mm -hmm. every parent deserves to know this. And it hasn't been in the past marketed or directed towards parents. It's towards the medical professional, which is amazing. I want the guy in the ambulance to know how to keep me alive until I get to the hospital. I also want parents to not feel like if their child were to choke, the only option is to call 911 and wait. Uh, And if it's okay, I'll actually share a quick story about, about that. A parent recently commented one of our videos and said her son had choked on a Ritz cracker uh, and he's choking. She called 911. They didn't answer. And then she didn't get a call back for 23 minutes to see if things were okay. She luckily knew what to do, was able to give him back blows and get the object removed. But that was just like a wake up call. Like, so for, for, for reference in, in an urban area in the United States takes about six to eight minutes for an ambulance to arrive. If your child was choking and they're not getting oxygen, uh, brain damage happens at four minutes. And by five to six minutes, the chance of survival is is slim to none. And so by the time, if your child was choking and you don't know how to, to give back blows and abdominal thrust to remove it, the ambulance is not going to get there in time to be able to assist you. And if you live in a, a rural area where it's 15, 20 minutes away, it's it, like it's not fair for parents to be told, don't worry, the the medical professionals got it. You just sit back and relax. And that's kind of, right. I mean, that's kind of a, the, the American, like Western medicine. It's, we're very much emergency minded and dependent on somebody else somewhere else. And so for us, it's like, we're giving that power back to the parents where you're in charge, you're the first responder. And it's an injustice that you haven't been told that you deserve to know what to do. And, and that this is your responsibility, not in like a condemning way we have no judgment for parents in our community that don't know what to do that's why we're here we're here to help and so you don't want to be in that place where you're just waiting for somebody to come help and to be left powerless and so our job is to give parents back the confidence give them back their power and that has been a really really powerful journey mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's such a great point i think i don't know where are you located brandon we're located here in Idaho, so in, Idaho. in okay. next to Boise, Idaho. 
Yeah. So I'm I'm out I right outside of Boston in Massachusetts, especially the Boston area. We're kind of like a medical hub, right? So I could throw a stone from my house and hit three different hospitals. So oh, it's wow. easy for me to forget that there are people living where the nearest hospital isn't for like an hour away or something like that. Right. And it's easy to if you're not in that situation, it's easy to forget. And like you said, even in if I had to call 911 in my area, it probably, you know, would take that that seven minutes to get there. And what's going to happen in that seven minutes besides, you know, panicking? Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, and even, you know, just to to further represent Idaho, we do have hospitals close by. There are places though where it is an hour away. And so that that feeling doesn't it doesn't feel good to 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 feel like that there is no help. And there is help. Like you call 911, they're going to try to walk if somebody answers like I've never heard of somebody that 911 not answering. Right. I've never heard of that either. Dispatch dispatch should be able to walk you through a little bit what mm-hmm. to do, but I don't want to be have an audible teacher while I'm like explain what to do. Like, okay, you need to do this and this. Like, I, I can't picture what you're saying. Like, and you're panicking. So our job is to make sure that parents, when they go, when you go into fight or flight, and a lot of parents like they they comment on videos like, I would freak out if this happened to my child. I'm like, well, I hope you freak out. This isn't <laughs> this is terrifying. Right. But in the freaking out, having in the subconscious a, a, a pre-built plan. And so when you have that pre-built plan, then it's not like freak out, don't do anything. It's freak out and help. Yeah. And I imagine if even if you do need to be talked through, if you've taken the class, you're going to start to remember everything. And, and like if you're panicking, you can't think, you can't remember what you yeah. learned. But the dispatcher is like, okay, this is what you want to do. It's going to come back to you. And you're exactly. not going to feel as lost trying to follow their verbal directions for something that you have absolutely no idea how to exactly. do to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's so important for, for parents. I do have a couple more questions. I want to be respectful of your time. My first is those devices that you can buy to mm-hmm. dislodge the item in the throat. It's usually yeah. some sort of like suction. What is your opinion on those? Great, great question. So we've we've actually talked quite a bit with LifeVac, which is one of the the main companies that that sells that. It's called an airway clearance device, and we we do have a discount code. It's Thrive. It's ten percent off if you guys do pick one up. But before I just just full transparency, I do have an affiliate code for them. I'm not. I didn't promote them until I had done the research and felt like this was a good option for parents. So let's dive into that for a minute. When it comes to owning a suction device like a LifeVac, a lot of parents opt to just purchase one, throw it in the kitchen closet and say, I'm good. Like I know I have my, my choking fear is solved. The issue with that approach is what if you don't have one when you're out and about? Okay. Maybe you have one in the car. Great. Well, if you're at the park and it's in the car, that's still three minutes to go get it. And so if you don't have any clue what to do, then it's, it's not, it's not beneficial to the parent because the anxiety is still there and they feel dependent on this device. So where, where I see it come in, and so CPR is when you're giving back blows or abdominal thrusts, you're creating a forced cough from the inside out. So you're taking the ox- the air that's below the object in the lungs to push the object out by creating pressure either in the stomach or in the back. And so what happens with the life hack is instead of creating the pressure from below the object, you're, you're, you're using the pressure from outside. Some of the benefits from that is if you've given several rounds of back blows and abdominal thrusts and the object still hasn't come out, each time we we give an abdominal thrust, there's a little bit of oxygen air pushing 
past the object. And so there's less air to use that's under the object. And so after each back blow, each round, there's less and less air that we can use to pop the object out. And so from the outside, there's unlimited air because we can pull it out. And so my strategy and, and what I would what I would do today right now, if I had to jump off this call and my wife saying, somebody's the kid's choking, she knows what to do. I would give five back blows followed by five abdominal thrusts. And if they're still choking, I would have already had either my wife or I getting the, the life act and be able to use that because something weird's going on where the object's not coming out. Um, so that's that's how I would use it. I would do five and five. That should have already gotten out the object. Like it should come out in the first one or two back blows. It didn't. Then we've got something interesting going on. Another benefit is if the child or the adult were to go unconscious while you're trying to get that choking obstruction removed, if if their body's limp, there's not much you can do to be able to try to use the the techniques to get it out. And so with the life act, they can, it can be used laying down. So if they they go unconscious, you can still get the object out, get paramedics there. We can use chest compressions and and rescue breaths to hopefully uh, re kickstart everything and an AD if necessary. And so I see it as a great backup tool that um, you don't want to be solely dependent on, but having it in in your back pocket. Uh, the American Heart Association released a study a few years ago that the Heimlich maneuver, so abdominal thrusts and back blows, so choking first aid, is about 80% effective at removing an object. And so at least 20% of the time where it still wasn't working mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And so for even thinking about pregnant women, you can give, um, instead of having the hand be right above the belly button, you can go right below the breast on the breastbone and pull to create a, uh, a forced cough. But if if you know, we aren't going to harm the we don't want to harm the baby, so like they would be a prime candidate where life fat could be used where we're, we don't want to have any interference with the the body or the baby. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, if there's a child or a, a person in a, a wheelchair, and if that wheelchair doesn't allow for you to to properly perform those life saving techniques, then life is a great option there. Or if let's say somebody's five feet tall and they're trying to rescue somebody who's six five. And they're just not big enough to to be able to give those life-saving techniques to them, then a life fact could be used uh, in that scenario. Um, and you can also use it on yourself. And so yeah. it, it can be sometimes hard to like, you can you can give yourself abdominal thrusts to, to remove your own choking obstruction. You can, you can like throw yourself on a chair, but it, it might be a little easier to create the suction and pull it out uh, under those those circumstances. So that's my thoughts on the life fact. Amazing device. There's been no reported injuries to life fact. There's over 2 million in circulation. There are some other companies whose devices have had quite a few injuries reported. And so the, 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 the suction isn't at a, a force level that would cause injury. Um, and so it's a great alternative to just saying, oh, we tried back blows, chest thrusts. Now we'll just do CPR until the person passes away. It's like, let's get the object out. Let's, let's, let's keep going. So it's... Mm-hmm. It's a class two medical device that's registered with the the FDA. So there's regulation around it. And I've personally worked with the company and, and had conversations with them to know their hearts and to know the, the the mission and value of the company. So it's great to know. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. When you do your your baby proofing course, do you feel like there's one specific thing that parents aren't aware that they should be doing or forget to do? Yeah. Let me think. I would say the biggest thing that a lot of parents forget to do is to to do things ahead of time. And so if you're pregnant or you're going to be due soon, I would baby proof ahead of time. 
Let's not wait until they're crawling because you want to mm-hmm. just be able to enjoy. Oh, he's crawling. Oh, no, he's grabbing that. It's like <laughs> and then you're already maybe sleep deprived, already a little tired. It's it's on the, the back burner. So I would say a lot of parents forget to do it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, like learning how to introduce solid foods when your child needs to eat is a harder time to do it than maybe a month prior, two months prior. So we've run into that personally as a family. We've seen other families deal with that. So I would always say baby proof ahead of time. So you can just enjoy when they start walking. Oh, he's opening cabinets. Like, well, let's just put the let's just put the cabinet locks on ahead of time so that we can just enjoy that. So mm-hmm. that would be my word of advice there. Love it. That's great. So where can can you go over where people can find you again on social media and your website? Yeah. Um, how they can connect with you because this has been really amazing. And I think all parents should know about it because it's so important. And it's Absolutely. something that, you know, people put so much emphasis on the birth, you know, at least 64% of parents take a childbirth class, but wow. how many yeah. take the CPR class? I don't know if you have that statistic or not. Um, yeah, no, that's, and that, I didn't even know that about the the birth prep class. Um, so a couple statistics, and then I'll share where people can connect with us. 60% of parents say that choking is their number one fear. And only 4% of the population is trained annually in CPR. So 96% don't know what to do or maybe had a course years ago. And so with that being said, I think that it's, it's very difficult to, to have a fear you live with and not, not have the training to, to, to combat that fear. So um, people can connect with us to be able to get refresher tips, to get free resources and to get the CPR course at Thrive Training Institute on Instagram. So at Thrive Training Institute. And the biggest thing I would say I would encourage people to do is we're, we're constantly hosting a new webinar that we started. I started doing and I'm doing another one. It will be aired after this, but we're constantly doing them called Choking Emergencies Made Simple. Three secrets every parent should know. So look for that on our social media. It's a it's a, a web class you can go through at your own pace uh, if you can't show up live to, to watch the recording. Um, and I try to give some of what we talked about here, but some breakthrough beliefs and I'll demonstrate what to do as a visual aid for infants, toddlers, and school-aged children. And if anybody shows up to that free webinar, they also get a print-off that they can put on their fridge to know what to do for their infant or their toddler if they were to choke, as well as a guide that they can download for how to craft a choking prevention plan for your family. I feel like you've gone really into the nitty-gritty in details, which is, you know, because if you're a parent, you're so sleep-deprived, you're missing 10% of your brain mass. So it's so nice where people can be like, yeah, we're going to we're going to teach you this. But also, here's a handout to hang on your fridge, because we know that probably you'll forget some of it because you know, you're so sleep deprived. So I love that. Yeah. And we've heard story. We, we I actually created that because I've actually heard stories of parents that have printed it out and put it put different resources on their fridge. I'm like, here, mm-hmm. here's the act. Here's the one you can. Here's the one you can use. So we try to listen to our the feedback of our audience and what's what's going to help them the most. Right. So I will include those link in the show notes. And thank Amazing. you again so much, Brandon, for joining me this morning. Yeah, Shelly, thank you so much for what you do. And, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.